I want to talk to you about a principle. A principle uh, message this morning. A little different than maybe what you'd ever hear or normally hear for sure. But I believe it's so important that we get it. Many of you have already got it. If you've already got it, this will just be a reinforcement of what you already have and encourage you on the way. If you don't have it, this will encourage you to do it so that you end up with a life that you do not have a bunch of regrets. How many here want to live a life with very few regrets? How many, how many here know regret? You know regret? Regret's awful. Regret's weighed in pounds. Discipline is weighed in ounces. Yeah. And so you want to be able to get to be an old guy like Tom Gillespie and not have a bunch of regrets. You know, my heart goes out to people, and I meet them, that have deep, deep, long life regrets that they did a certain thing or went a certain way in their life. And I, I, hear, them, I hear them in my office weeping. They don't cry. They weep. Weeping's bigger. Where the very heart is broken and the tears flow. But it's, you know, there's no comfort because the extent that you really cannot go back and undo, you can't undo one thing we've ever done. All the comfort I can give somebody is from now on, live for Jesus. Because a, a life lived after this book will have no regrets. No regrets. It's beautiful. And that's what I want to talk to you about. How to live a life for Christ with no regrets. Could be a title to this. It is not. The title is, What is Your Philosophy? Much less dramatic. You may not have thought about your philosophy of life, but do you have this morning a philosophy of life? Now, if you're young here, I don't expect you to have uh, an organized philosophy of life yet. It would make sense if you're a very young person, you wouldn't have that yet. Or if you're listening in and you're, you're watching or whatever, you would not have unorganized philosophy of life, but you should and very, if you want to live a life for Christ, you must adopt a biblical philosophy, must. I'm speaking about the philosophy of life, what makes you tick, where you get the reasons why you do what you do, what guides your ship. The book of James, and our text is James chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Let me read it for you. You want to get there? James chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. I'll be there in a minute. In the context of what I'm reading in James there is really for the tongue and our language. It's talking about the tongue, and I appreciate that. The tongue no man can control. The tongue is set on the fire from hell, no doubt about it. Words in your tongue are like unconquerable. You can manage it, but you're never going to totally have victory over it until Jesus takes us home when we get total victory over the old tongue. It's, it's, a, it's a world of iniquity. It's a tough thing. But I'm, I'm not really talking about the tongue this morning. I'm going to talk about the, the, the two illustrations that James, under the Holy Spirit's guidance, of course, uses in verse 3 and 4 there. Uh, and, and, and I want to talk to you about really those two things being likened to your philosophy of life. Your philosophy determines your language, literally how you speak. Your, 
Have you ever been around somebody that every other word was a cuss word? It's just unbelievable. It's just they, they cuss every two words, every three words, and they're vulgar words, nasty words. And it, first of all, it reduces their voca- it reduces their IQ. And they don't have much to waste, but they've already wasted a bunch of IQ by going around swearing all the time. But you, you ever thought about that's the philosophy they have of life? That's their philosophy. They've adopted a philosophy. They didn't come out of the womb swearing like that. The first three words they learned weren't those words that they say over and over. They've adopted a philosophy of life. Now, they may not say that. They may not have thought it through. But they have adopted that philosophy of swearing. Uh, Your philosophy determines your language. Your opinion is determined by the philosophy of your life on everything, on everything that goes on, whatever your opinion is. it's, It's determined by if you which philosophy of life you've have adopted. And so uh, I want to talk to you about this whole, this whole deal. If you say, have you ever met somebody, a preacher, that has, does not have a philosophy of life? Yes. They're just kind of floating one day at a time, never really thought about it, uh, don't really have any particular philosophy. Oftentimes they're double-minded people. They shift back and forth by every wind. Now there's Christians like that, born-again believers they're not taking a biblical philosophy upon themselves and determined to, to have it and to live it. And they're, they're, they're victims of every, every wave of, 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 of popular junk that goes through Christianity. They're a victim of it and, and can be easily taken into it. They become unstable and unpredictable. Uh, by the way, the definition of insanity is unpredictable. Why don't we want to be around crazy people? Because they are unpredictable. We don't know whether they will take a gun out and shoot you, take a knife and stab you, whether they'll take a club and whack you, or whether they'll give you a kiss on the cheek. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't want to be around somebody that's on the verge of being insane or unpredictable. In fact, if people are unpredictable, they are a form of insanity. I don't like being around them. The Bible says stay away from an angry man. Why? He's unpredictable. He'll hurt you. He'll jump out of nowhere and, and hurt you. You've got to be careful about all that, 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 that whole thing. So this illustration, let me read the verse and go on. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. I've ridden some horses. My mom and dad, my mom and dad made a concerted effort to kill me before I was 12 years old. They bought four horses and ponies or whatever you want to call them, and they rented them. Actually, my, my dad, how do you like that? Rented them. He didn't want to buy them. He rented them. Oh, they're high-quality horses or ponies. Oh, high-quality. They rented them. So they brought them into the barnyard we had there, and, and he'd say, now you got some horses there. You can ride them, and no lessons, no, no nothing. And I didn't know. I thought horses were nice. Horses are set out to kill you straight up and down. I'd jump on the back of that horse. I was too lazy to put a saddle on him. And uh, jump in the back, put a, put a bridle on him, put a saddle on him, and, or no saddle, but jump on his back and, and, you know, start going down this dirt road with rocks and jagged rocks on this dirt road. And, and that horse, see, he would get going. He would get going, boy. And then he'd put all fours down, sliding on that gravel road. I'd flip over his head. He put his head down, by the way. That was nice of him. Put his head down, I'd grab his hair, ripping as much hair out as possible. 
nothing to grab, no, no horn on a saddle, nothing. You're over the top of him. And then as I rolled on the dirt road, he jumped over me all four feet. I'd see him go boom, 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 boom. He could have hit me in the head, killed me. He tried, but, but God had a purpose for me. I'd go crying. I was all bleeding, cut up, bleeding. I'd walk back a quarter mile back to the house. He'd already run back to the barn. Because a horse, as soon as they get free, they go back to the barn, man. They'll walk away from the barn, but they run back to the barn. And I rode a horse one time. He tried me. He was running full blast to the barn. I'm pulling back. Again, and, I, and I noticed that he's heading for the door of the barn. And I noticed that I'm not going to fit between him and the door. That kind of stuff. One time a guy had a quarter horse. I don't know if you understand quarter horse, but a highly spirited animal. And a quarter, high quality quarter. I hadn't ridden many high quality horse. I got on this high quality quarter horse. And he told me, just as I, be, just as I began to disappear into the sunset, he said, he's hard to control. Well, I, I was, I had a saddle. Now, he had a saddle on this one. And with the strength that I had, I had, I was pulling him so much that his head was against his chest, but he was still running wide open. But now he's running blindly through the woods. And he tried scraping me off. I went and got on the side of him, you know. And, and finally, when I got him back, when I finally survived all that, got back to that, his mouth was bleeding. And I'm glad of it. I didn't feel bad at all for him because that horse tried to kill me. But one thing I learned is a horse, a 2,000-pound horse, can be controlled by a little bit. That's what a philosophy is. That's what a philosophy is. A philosophy is even in, is really unseen, small, maybe seems small, not important, but it is what will guide the ship. Oh, I'm on a second illustration, am I? The ship, by a little rudder, a massive ship will be guided left, right, and returned by just a little rudder. I read a little bit about the Titanic. One of the reasons they said the Titanic hit the iceberg was, design-wise, the rudder was too small for that big a ship. And when the guy put that into a hard turn, it didn't turn hard. The ship was too big, and then the rudder was too small. There's a certain ratio of the size rudder. But even at that, a small rudder will turn a massive amount of ship. That's your philosophy. That's what your philosophy is. Whatever you have, you say, I don't have one. You have one. But really, you should have a defined, understood, well thought out philosophy of life in this room today and, and on the internet. You should get it. If you don't have it, of course, the idea of this whole sermon is that you'll get it. It's just, it's, it's what it controls how you turn out, where you're going to end up. Your philosophy will either save you or sink you. In the case of the Titanic, it sunk them. And so, I was uh, visiting some dear folks up north this vacation I took, and I used uh, the bathroom I was to use was the guest bathroom. And these folks, I won't tell you who they are, but they live in Bismarck. But uh, in their guest bathroom, and you know when you're, I mean, excuse me for this, but when you're in the bathroom, you have time to look around. 
And so I'm looking around. If you clean any room, clean the bathroom. Because the guy's inspecting the corner over there. So I'm looking around, and I see a plaque to my right. A plaque. Well, it hurts my neck a little bit to read it, so I waited until I stood up. And this plaque had 21 or two things on it called a philosophy of life. And the plaque itself was so sweet, so happy, so fluffy. It was light. It was airy. And it sounded good. Uh, it, it, was, it would be, if I didn't know the Bible, it would sound like something that would be good for everybody to have. Then the Holy Spirit began to whisper to me. He said, you see that plaque? I said, yes, I see that plaque. He said, that plaque is anti-God. That plaque is anti-Bible. That plaque is anti-truth. That plaque is destructive. That plaque, if obeyed, will send you to hell, would send a person to hell, not me, but a person to hell, because I'm saved. And I thought in my mind, this sweet, happy, wonderful, uplifting plaque with these wonderful, fluffy little statements on it, in essence, they're not so, they're not so nice. Now, for the person that's got this up in their bathroom, don't take offense if you're watching this this morning, but you may want to take that down. I'm going to go over with you this morning what it said. And I'm going to give you the biblical answer to the things it said. Because I've read the Bible since 18 years old to today. I read my book. I study the book. Went to school to study the book. I've had a high privilege to be able to be given days and days and months and years to just read over and pour over this book. See, because this church gives me time off to where I can actually go home and get with God and talk about it and get in. Now, you guys got to go out there and work. I don't have to do that. Preachers don't work. 30 minutes a day. I mean, 30 minutes, an hour on Sunday, that's it. No. Preacher that does what he's supposed to do gets with God for two and a half days a week. I specifically devote nothing more than getting with God and getting in the book. And so because of that exposure to the truth, when I read that fluffy, sweet, happy little plaque, there's things in my head go, bang, 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 dive, 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 you know. It's like warning. Now, if you haven't read the Bible much, or you haven't spent much time in the Word of God, you may read that and go, oh, isn't that sweet, isn't it? And I'm sure the sweet person that put that up, and she is sweet, didn't have maybe a thought about that. And I'll probably never get another invite back there. Don't let, the, the, the point of this whole thing is never let me come over to your house and go to the bathroom because I'm looking in there what's going on. The first thing it said was, today is the day. 
You say, Preacher Bill, man, that ain't bad. It is without a context. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. What does that simply mean is that you could die today, meet your creator today, and have to answer for your sin today. Or, as a born-again believer, today may be the day Jesus comes back, changes you into his body, out of your vile body into his wonderful body, and you get to go to heaven and spend the rest of eternity with him. But there's a context to it. But you understand, if, you, if a worldling without Christ reads today's the day, then they yeah, today's the day. Well, let me say this, without Jesus, people are walking around in jeopardy of dying without Christ. That's not a happy thought. Second thing I said, you'll love this one, live with abandon. Well, for who? Colossians 3.23 says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. I'm supposed to live heartily with abandon. But to God, it's got to have to have a context. But to the world, live with abandon for what? Live with abandon and sell drugs. Live with abandon in adultery. Live with abandon in fornication. Live with abandon in sin. I mean, it has no context. And without a context, it makes its own context. And I thought, boy, live with abandon. Only live with abandon for God, brother. Colossians 3.23. The third thing says, be courageous and wild at heart. Now, you girls are going... Oh, oh, that's so sweet. You, why did I know that? You put that kind of junk up on Facebook. Be wild at heart. I have a first thing came to my mind, wild for who? Wild for the devil, wild for myself, wild for, wild for who? Well, the verse I thought about was Joshua 1, 7. It says, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee to turn not to the right hand or the left hand, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Yeah! Live courageous for sure, but live courageous for the word of God, for something that's real. Not mythology. Not your vain imaginations, Right? Live for God, something that's going to be there forever. Someone who will be with you forever. The fourth thing, and i got to hurry because there's 22 of these. Well, it was 11.15, I can't help myself. Here's one. Be your own hero. Ephesians 3.8, Paul said unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given. Everywhere through the Bible that I read that God approves of, we're to be small. He's to be our hero. We're not to build ourselves up and be your own hero. First of all, how are you going to be your own hero? Well, people love themselves. They do. They do. But I'm supposed to love God and be, and be small in my own sight. Number five, it says, fall in love. I'm, I'm, Thomas, are you here? And that sounds sweet, fall. Some of you tripped in love, tripped and fell. Fall in love. 
The Bible says that may be okay to go to be in love and find a, a life mate, and it's all that's all good. But the Bible warns in that whole process to be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you fall, it sounds like you're out of control, doesn't it? Uh, uh, or plan who you're going to marry. Many, okay, even me. When I was I dated Kathy when she was 16 years old. I was 17, and and what do you know as a 16 and 17 owner? You know everything. You can solve the problems of the world. But anyway, 16, 17-year-old kid doesn't know. I mean, what do you know about life? What do you know about anything, right? I mean, what do you know? I knew one thing. I couldn't marry her unless she got saved. Where in the world did I get that? I had been in a fundamental independent Baptist Bible preaching church since I was two years old. And I heard the old boy get up there and get red-faced about not being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He got in my, the Holy Spirit got in my head and in my soul as a backslidden, selfish, carnal, 17-year-old young man enough to let, know, let me know that it would be a tr tremendous tragedy to marry Kathy Moore unsaved. It would be a horrible tragedy, philosophy of life. So you can have philosophy 16 years old. Yeah. Um, number six, take time to appreciate the moments for they will soon be memories. Now, you know, that, that's almost okay. James 4.14 says, uh, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Uh, I, I think it's nice to appreciate your memories, but it won't do you a bit of good if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Christ and you die, all of your stuff is going to disappear. Everything. All the memories. Everything. Gone. So, knowing Christ is big. The seventh thing is be good to yourself. Be good to yourself. I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 9, 27, but I keep my body under and bring it into subjection that by, all, that by any means I may be preached to others and myself should be a castaway. I read that this morning in Sunday school. We're, we're to discipline ourselves. We're to be tough on ourselves. We're to be soldiers of Jesus Christ willing to suffer for good. Uh, uh, that would be biblically being good to yourself, but that's not what that means. You know that's not what that means. Isn't it? The eighth statement they had was be generous and truthful. Well, that's close. Jesus said to be generous, Luke chapter 6, verse 38, given it should be given unto you, but it's got to be done in the right way and for the right person. Uh, the, the ninth thing was dance, sing, and play no matter what your age. You want to see me that? You ever see me moonwalk? I can't do it. So I have seen moonwalk. Psalm 100, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, Amen. Ephesians 5.19, speak to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. I do that all the time. But that's not what they're talking about in that plaque. Number 10, believe in your own power and strength and fortitude. Lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. That's what that makes me think of. Galatians 6.14 says, but God forbid that I should glory. Save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom is crucified in me and I under the world. Amen. And I got no power. What kind of power? Let me ask you this. How many of you can keep yourself from dying? 
I remember a guy, my name was Steve Job. Remember him? Apple phone. Lots of money, lots of money, lots of smarts. Lots of, he knew the way of the world. The last picture of Steve Jobs, he's a little skeleton man standing up with a helper. Soon after that, he meant eternity. He had the wrong philosophy of life. Number 11, embrace new possibilities. I put it on there, not unless they're from God. Number 12, I'm hurrying a little bit, and you say amen. Out! Okay. Make friends every, everywhere you go. Well, right away comes into my mind, Romans chapter 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and contrary doc, offenses contrary to doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. I'm sorry, but certain people you can't be friends with. You can't. They're enemies of the cross. The Bible says, For they are of such that serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, that's what this plaque was, deceive the hearts of the simple. They're bad people. There is such a thing as bad people that are, that are out there to hurt you and, are, and hate God. Inspire someone, it says. Inspire someone. I, was, I, get, I, I get it, but inspire them for what? Inspire them for what? It's important. Be brave, number 14. Be brave. I like that, but be brave for who? It's got to be brave for God. Number 15, take chances and be spontaneous. I think it's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. Uh, be careful about that spontaneous thing. Spontaneous oftentimes gets me in trouble. I don't know about you. Number 16, discover your gifts and use them wisely. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12 said we're gifts from God. We have gifts given to us from God and use them in the service of God is indeed using them wisely. I'm going somewhere with all this. Number 17, surround yourself with love, laughter, and truth. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and so many other places, verse 6, to live soberly, justly, and godly. Uh, laughter, I like laughter. But it can't be, laugh. whatever you do, don't laugh at sin. Fools make a mock at sin, the Bible says. Number 18, don't take it all too seriously. Well, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and so many other places said, be sober and be vigilant. Number 19 says, forgive quickly and hold no grudges. I mean, there's some good there. But in 1 Corinthians 5.11, it says, now I, now, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man is called a brother, that means a brother. Somebody says they're born again. Be a fornicator, a covetous, or idolater, a railer, a drunkard, an extortioner. With such an one, know not to eat. I forgive everybody, but that doesn't mean I can fellowship with everybody. The Bible says not. You say, where are you getting that from? The Bible. Well, I've never heard that before, preacher. That's why I'm up here. Number 20, seek peace and calm. Only if it's God's peace. Because we're told that we're warriors, we're soldiers. And warriors and soldiers don't have a bunch of peace. Let me say this. A lot of my time as, as a Christian has not been real peaceful out there 
with the world. Example, Jesus said, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, Think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. I'm come not to send peace, but a sword. He goes on to say, I'll divide mother from mother-in-law and, and, and daughter from mother-in-law, or however he goes and does a family division. You can't have a family reunion after he gets done with your family. Learn something new every day. Well, 2 Timothy 3, 7 says, they're ever learning, never able to come to the truth. Don't learn something new every day. Learn something from God new every day. Learn something philosophically biblical and the principles of Scripture so that you can grow in Christ. Create happiness, number 22. How? First of all, I've got to ask how you do that. Create happiness. You know, happiness is based on happening, surface. Things happy, you know, I find also happy doesn't last. Happy don't last, you know. The Bible says again, Titus 2.6, be sober-minded, especially young man, he said. Number 23, laughed often. Uh, the Bible said Jesus was a man of sorrows. Fools make a mock of sin in other places. Enjoy the little things, as I always say, and I thought here, it's enjoy the little things. Which little things? The Bible says everything, give thanks for this is the will of God. Jesus Christ concerning you. I could maybe go along with that if it was biblical. Number 25, I didn't know there was this many of them. There were 27 of them. I actually reviewed this. Smile at strangers. Well, the Bible says in, in, in Proverbs 28, 23, he rebuketh the man afterwards, findeth more favor than he flatters with the tongue. You ever met a con man? They'll smile, tell you what you want to hear, be so sweet to you, but they're wicked. I've met some people that were kind of sour-natured, but some of the best friends I ever had in my life. Matthew 10, 17 says, Beware of men. That's what the Bible said. Beware of them, for they will deliver you up to the consuls. They will scourge you in the synagogue. This 26th thing I said, we're on this. It was big. You know, the list was big. We're on this journey together, and I believe that to be true. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The 27th thing said, this is your life, make it beautiful. Maybe the, maybe the worst one of them all. This is your life, make it beautiful. And the, to the unsaved person, what says speak? For me to live is Christ. It's not my life. It's his life. I can't make my life beautiful. But he who came in me is beautiful. You know, God is the essence of all beauty. He's the creator of all beauty, real beauty. Now, the devil creates his own beauty, but it's, it's different than God's beauty. God has given us beauty, but not the world. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. So what's my point to all this? The world's philosophy is everywhere. It's posted, preached, demonstrated, advertised on every possible media. If you watch movies, or you, if you watch movies, Netflix, movies, or whatever, they're constantly pumping their philosophy of life in those movies. Those movies are not just 
to make a hundred hundred billion dollars or or a billion dollars or three hundred. They're money makers. I no doubt about it for them. But they they don't know that their father, which is the devil, by the way, has a plan in making those movies, and those movies are pumping a philosophy of life. One philosophy you see throughout the course of them is immorality is okay if you're in love. You with me? Uh, drinking and drunkenness is up. That's, that's all right. I mean, over and over, and lately, I mean, the, the, the title of these things, and I'm not watching them, I'm just catching the fringe of the thing, is murder is okay. Violence is okay. It's not. We're not supposed to get entertained, really, with violence. But it's everywhere. And after you get saved, you adopt a completely out-of-this-world philosophy. And that's the philosophy of God in this book. It will transform you. It will make you unwelcome undesirable in this world. The world won't want you around anymore. You may have been the life of the party before you got saved, but when you get born from above, all of a sudden the people, you don't, they don't want, what, what changed? I didn't change. I'm the still person. I'm still a guy. But what changed? I got right with God at 18 years old, and I had a group of, of boys that I grew up with that we all did stuff, everything together. So I got saved, and then boys, they didn't want to be around me no more. Because all I wanted to tell them was, man, you need to get saved. No, Jesus, your Savior, you're going to go to hell without that. And, and they were like, well, well, you've changed. We don't want to be around you anymore. I said, no, I'm the same Bill I tell you ever knew. Uh, they had nothing to do with me. Ostracized me. And it was, it was for the best, really. Because they wanted to drag me back into where they were at. And I was trying to drag them into the kingdom of God by the philosophy difference. So after you get saved, you change. The word of God will contradict, I'm going to be conservative, it'll contradict 90% of everything you believed. Even farm boys. The Bible will contradict a lot of your philosophy that you learned in this world. It'll contradict you. It'll put it again. So you got to ask yourself a question. Who's right? Who's right? Blessed are they that hear the word of God and do what? Yeah. I believe, by simple childlike faith, that Jesus Christ is right. He's the son of the living God. He's a Messiah. He came. He, he died. He died for my sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. I believe he's coming back to be the king of kings and lord of lords. He's going to be the ruler over all that is. He's going to set straight the lies of the evil one. He's going to show that they were wrong. All those that followed the evil one and rejected him are going to be put in an encapsulation in a place that they cannot be heard, seen, or influence anyone else, the place called the lake of fire or hell. And he's going to start a brand new universe, a new heaven, a new earth. I'm talking as far as the Hubble telescope will see. All of that's going to be new. Just like the creation in Adam and Eve, he's going to create everything new again. And he's going to put us in that. And you say, what are you going to do? I tell you, the Bible tells us. The Bible says his servant shall serve him. That means I get to work. I get to work. I get to work without being tired. I get to work without having the old nature. 
I get to work without having being, being lazy, you know. I get to, you know, some of the most beautiful times in my life have been the times when I've worked. How about you? It's just rewarding. It's phenomenal. Works wonderful. Thank you for that reinforcement. First Timothy says, what is the philosophy of life? That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. First Timothy 1.5 says, what's the philosophy of life? Now the end of the commandment is charity, that is love out of a pure heart and a good conscience and of a faith unfeigned. A God-centered, truth-centered life, not self-centered. Make sure you have a biblical philosophy. Father, help us this morning. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct us. I pray, Father, that you just, some of these young, I fear for some of the younger people as they watch the internet and look at the philosophy that's plastered all over the internet, philosophy of, uh, which I read on a regular basis, is anti-biblical, contradictive of the Word of God, and contradictive of what's really true. My God, you help us to have a biblical philosophy to seek your word out. First of all, to read it, seek it, hunger after it. Help us as born-again believers to be lights in this world, that our light may so shine before men, the Bible said. God, may we be the salt, preserving, holding back some of the false philosophies of this world, contradicting them with the word of God and the Holy Spirit. There may be some among us that not, know not Christ, their personal Savior, and say, Brother Bill, I've never even dealt with this whole subject of Jesus and salvation. We'd love to talk to you about it. Love to show you what happened to us and how we found Christ, found our satisfaction with our sins forgiven in Him. Why don't you make your way, as we sing a couple verses just as I am, make your way up the front here, and say, Brother Bill, I want to make a decision for Jesus. We'll take you in the back. One-on-one, man with a man, lady with a lady, privately, confidentially explain the gospel. Or answer your question. Or pray with you. And maybe even cry with you. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.